listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Everyone else, please take your Bible with me and open up to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning, and we're in a series called Chosen Sojourners. This entire series has been about really being homesick for a place that you've never been. There's three big themes in this letter of 1 Peter as we're working through this book. It's our living hope is Jesus Christ. We're facing present suffering right now, and there's future glory coming. We, we have hope in Jesus. He's going to take us to a place that is far su- superior to the place we're in right now. And in this letter, Peter is writing to a group of people who are facing pressure from the world. Everything about their life is, is rough and tough because of the society they are in is persecuting them. And Peter is teaching them that in reality... As a Christian, you're a resident alien. Life right now um, on earth is a little bit like a glorified camping trip. You know, you've been born again. You're a new citizen. Your citizenship is now in heaven. It's not in the current place that you're at. And this is not your forever home. You're just passing through to the place that you were destined to be, which is at home with God. So last week we left off with 1 Peter 2, verse 9. The same verse that that we just heard from earlier today from Nicole. But Peter tells the church that they are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a people of his own possession. So this morning, if you were a believer in Jesus Christ, that's the truth about your identity. You are chosen. You are royalty. You're in the family of God. To be a holy nation literally means you're a unique, set-apart people group. A people who are owned by God. He is the king of your heart. That means you're also destined to possess the kingdom of God. And Peter is using, in in this letter, he's using as much language as possible to drive home this repeated point that you are a new person in Christ. So a royal priesthood, you have direct access to God. And we talked about that last week. You you can talk to him in prayer, and he communes to you straight through his word, through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And this just isn't any priesthood. This is a royal priesthood, which also indicates our dominion. One day we will rule and reign with him. And even now we share in dominion in this world, which goes all the way back to Genesis where God created man and woman to have dominion over the earth and to subdue the earth. So if you are saved by the grace of God and you know Jesus Christ, according to this letter, you are a chosen sojourner. And that's what this series has been. You are new and you don't fit in with the world anymore. You see the world through a different lens And at the heart of it all, you are in relationship with your creator, your sustainer, and your savior. So if you feel like all is not right in the world, and that you can't quite fix the world, 
You're right. You are homesick for a home that you've never been to yet. And that is a very brief summary of the first four messages that I've already preached in 1 Peter. And last week, the sermon was about becoming a people of his own possession. You know, you're not a, the captain of your own ship. He's the king of your heart. He's the wind inside your sails now, right? He's the anchor in the waves. It's not all on you anymore. So, so we just talked about becoming that person. And now we're going to pick up right where we left off in verse 9. And we're going to talk about being a person of his own possession. And there's something unmistakable at the core of being a people of his own possession. It's something we all know about something we've all heard about, we've all experienced it before, but we aren't always great with it. It can be scary and intimidating. It can be nerve-wracking and frightening. Kind of like sending your three-year-old down the stairs with a pair of scissors in their hands, like just point the pointy end down and hold tight and walk slow, right? Like it's this nerve-wracking thing sometimes. But at the end of the day, it's a privilege and it's an honor, and it's a special calling that you must embrace because it's at the heart of who you are in Christ. If you're not doing this thing that we're going to see, if you're not doing it, you are going to grow spiritually apathetic. Atrophy is going to set in. Atrophy. And we all know what happens when those muscles go through atrophy. They get scrawny and they get ugly. And no one wants to be a weak, ugly version of themselves. So let's go to the text, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and let's look and see what we must do as people of his own possession. We're going to read verse 9 through verse 12 together. But you were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There's our text today. And there are three verbs in these four verses that pertain to you as people of God's possession. And... This, I'll be honest, this textual outline here, if you're just looking at the text itself, is probably the easiest you will ever find. I, I, I can't imagine an easier passage to see the outline. Just, it just falls in place. Um, maybe you've already caught it if you're a regular here and, you, and you've been working through this book and, and you know how we, how we work here at Doxa Church. Every, every Sunday we dive into the text. After a while, it just becomes second nature. You could probably see the outline for yourself. But I'm going to teach everyone how to make the outline in just one minute right now, okay? You ready for this? We can all do it. We can all do it together in less than a minute. Look at these four verses, and I want you to look for the three action verbs. Just look for the three action verbs. Take a second. 
Take a look. What do you see? Being a people of his own possession. What are the three things that we need to be doing? If you're bold enough, go ahead and underline those in your Bible, if you, if you so desire. But the three verbs there are proclaim, verse 9, abstain, verse 11, and keep, in verse 12. Right? There's your textual outline. Those are our three points. But I want to dress it up a little bit this morning. Um, we aren't going to take away anything from this message. We're not going to add anything to this message. But I think an outline like this deserves to be presented well. Just like anything grand and worthy deserves to be presented well. And uh, I may, may or may not be foreshadowing something right there for you, okay? But the theme that I want to attach to this outline and this message today is going to be a little creative, and it's going to be a little fun. Think of this message as inviting others over for dinner. All right, that's the theme that we're going to, that we're going to attach to this. Now, you have to follow me on this, and you're going to have to wait till it's over before you judge, okay? Just do that. Just give it a chance. But I want, to see, I want you to see, first of all, that this invitational dinner theme is not a stretch at all. As a matter of fact, in one of the parables of Jesus, he used this exact same theme, inviting others over for a great banquet. So turn to Luke 14, because this absolutely fits exactly with what we see here as being a people of his own possession. But Luke chapter 14, I want to read a few short verses with you here. As we wade into this, Luke 14, verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, this is Jesus talking. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the, and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Yeah, there's a lot going on there, right, with that one. Verse 21, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you command has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, that's a parable of Jesus Christ. It could be its own sermon. That's just a taste of where we are going with this theme, this invitational theme for dinner. And the really cool thing, one of the really cool things, of course, about a parable of Jesus is, of course, it's going to parallel a spiritual reality. That one day... All of his chosen sojourners will be united 
in the great marriage supper of the Lamb. You can read about this in Revelation 19. Go look it up sometime this week. Where the bride of Christ, every chosen sojourner, will celebrate our forever home with our risen Savior in a grand feast. Because the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. And He's going to have that grand meal with us where we are rejoicing and celebrating, where we are glorified and we see him face to face. So when Peter says here, back to, back to 1 Peter chapter 2, when he says, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, and he tells you that once you had no identity. You were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you did not know mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now you are beloved. What he's teaching us is that if you know Jesus Christ, you are a proclaimer of that good news. That is embedded into who you are. And you can't be a Christian without sharing good news that Jesus Christ saves. We're all like that servant in Luke chapter 14, verse 17, who is to go out and invite people over for dinner. It's ready. It's time. Come and get it. You want what I have. So now that we've established the outline, you've seen the theme here, let's talk for a minute about invitation etiquette. Sound good? Invitation etiquette. I know that sounds super exciting for some people. And I want to just say here, um, I think I'm unique in this one sense because I've had, I've had the best of, of a lot of worlds, okay? <laughs> I, I, some of you know this, I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad is, is still a pastor in the Midwest, in Illinois. And so we grew up in a small town in, in Illinois, northern Illinois, and people had us over for dinner all the time. So we had a lot of times to go over on Sunday lunch and all that good stuff. Also, coinciding with that, my mother is, uh, is from Atlanta, Georgia, okay? And she has been trained and she believes very strongly in the high etiquette of Southern hospitality in the high class Atlanta. And now, I mean, don't get me wrong, they were, she wasn't like the elite of Atlanta, but you don't, have to be, you don't have to be rich to really care about manners and table etiquette if you come from Atlanta, Georgia. Like, I mean, it goes generation and generation back. So it was drilled into me. You know, don't put your elbow on the table. You know, keep your hand in your lap. You, you gotta get the table setting just right. Never talk with, with, with food in your mouth. Like, all of those things, like, it was force-fed to me constantly. Like, I, I mean, I, I know those very, very well. Dinner etiquette is important. Being a guest, there's, there's a way you handle yourself, right? And while we're on this topic, I may as well give you the three big rules, the cardinal rules, if you're going to be a guest in someone's home. Are you ready for this? And we're going somewhere with this, all right? This, I'm saying this for a reason, but, but stick with me. Number one, re number one rule, don't show up early. We all know this one, right? <laughs> you don't show up early if you've been invited over to somebody's house. Number two, bring something. And number three, don't stay too long. Okay? Uh, and when I was a kid, we literally would, would pull in. My dad is like, you know, he's from, he's from Illinois. He's, he's like ready to be on time. My mom was never on time. But, but it doesn't matter. Like we would go into somebody's house and it'd be like, you know, five minutes after six o'clock, right, 6.05, and she's like, no, 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 Alan, let's, let's take a few more, let's take a few more drives around the block here. We don't want to go in too early. 
we got to give them time to get the house cleaned. And it's just the courteous thing. I, I get it. I, my mom always talked about this. How dare they show up on the dot? That's so rude. Like, we're trying to, like, shove all the toys in every nook and cranny in the house. Like, you, you're, you're, it's a whirlwind of activity, vacuuming, trying to get the house clean. Give the person five to seven minutes before you walk in. It's a nice gift to give that person who is hosting you. So that's, that's rule number one. Rule number two is always bring something. And if you don't follow these rules, please, I'm not going to be offended. Don't. I'm just telling you, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. Like, this is just stuff that I've learned from my mom, who's from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, number two is always bring something. Always bring something. It's, it, it shows graciousness. It shows thankfulness. Even if they say, hey, we got this. This is all on us. No, still show up with something in your hand anyway. Whether it's a beverage or whatever it is, bring something. And then number three, don't stay too long. And if you think, well, hey, David, I have a great personality. Like, I, I thrive on this. I love people, and people love me. And I, I, we can hang out and talk forever. We can hang out all night. No, 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 no. You need to hear me. Don't stay too long, okay? You need, you need to know when to leave, too. So those are your three rules. And just like those are the three rules of being a guest, which we'll, we'll, we will come back to those. Wink, wink. Um, we've established those. Now we need to go through the outline of this text, what you already do know. And we're going to coincide that with the three rules for hosting. So on the flip side of not showing up too early, here's hosting rule number one. Point number one, make room at the table for more. And where we're getting this from is proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. As a chosen child of God, you were called to welcome others to the table. You were to share what you have been given. And I think a lot of times people don't know what to do with this. It's not like they don't want to proclaim the good news and compel people to come to him. But there's just things that get in the way. Number one is, they feel like, I don't know how. Another one is, I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to say the wrong thing. And another one is, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I know I have things in my own life that don't really quite match and line up, and I've messed up too, so I don't want to present myself like this person who knows Jesus and, and can do all this and say all this. All three of those are bad reasons for not proclaiming the excellencies of him who calls you, but they are, they are real. Those are reasons that people struggle with this. Now, we're going to cover that last one when we get to the second point, um, abstaining from the passions of the flesh and getting spiritual victory over the war that wages in your soul between the lust of the flesh and the spirit. That's very important. Um, we aren't going to be good at sharing our faith if we are defeated. So more on that when we get to the second point. But first of all, I just want to remind you here of the guide that Peter lays out in chapter 2, right here in the text. So many people think that witnessing about Jesus and evangelizing the lost is about telling people, you're wrong, and you're going to hell if you don't believe in Jesus. Now that's true, of course it is. But nowhere in Scripture is that the blueprint for sharing your faith. Because if that's what you think it is, of course it's awkward and scary to just go up to somebody and punch them in the face like that. 
But sharing Jesus without fear begins with understanding that you are a messenger proclaiming the good news about Jesus. That's effortless. That's not all on your shoulders. You aren't the one saving them. You aren't the one who has to convince them with an airtight presentation. No. God saves. Remember what we saw a couple weeks ago? God saves to the uttermost. He does the work. He does it all. So never forget that you are a messenger sowing seed, and the results are up to him. Secondly, you don't need to lead with evidence for God's existence or a polemic about the most controversial debate, the hot-button issue of the day. You don't have to get all those things lined up. You just need to remember your story. That's what Peter is reminding everyone here in this letter. A witness is someone who testifies to what they've seen and heard, right? When you have, when you have a court case, what is, the, what is the witness doing? Well, I saw this, I heard this, and this happened because I experienced it. You're sharing your story. Peter's emphasis here in verses 9 and 10 is completely on your own personal transformation. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. And, and Peter actually is borrowing from Hosea chapter 1 here. He had an incredible understanding of the Old Testament, as we've already seen in this letter. And I don't really know for sure if he quite had that in the Gospels. When you read the Gospels during the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, it doesn't quite seem like he had this masterful grasp on the Old Testament. It's almost like he desired the pure milk of the Word, right? And, and the, the spiritual milk of the Word, and he feasted on God's truth, and it's just overflowing out of him in this letter. But once I had not received mercy, and now I have received mercy. When you're sharing that with people, it sounds a whole lot different than you're wrong, you're in darkness, I'm right, get on board or else you're missing out and going to hell. Do you see the difference there? See how one sounds condescending and the other doesn't? What sounds more inviting? Straighten up, get on board. No, you can't do this. You can't even think about that. Just follow the straight and narrow path. It's a must. Or... I was lost. I was in darkness. I was sinking. I was at rock bottom, and Jesus found me. Let me share with you what Jesus has done in my life, because I want you to know what I know. Proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's not giving any impression that you're better than them. You know the truth. They are lost. You, we'll get there. They'll, they'll get there. But proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light is putting all the emphasis off of them, off of you, and it's putting it all on Jesus Christ. That's where we're going with this. I was found by Jesus. He wants to do the same for you. So remember, it's not on you. It's, it's actually all up to Him. You were in the same place they were at one point in time, if not for the grace of God. And as you are pointing others to Jesus, it's, it's not about you. It's not about how awesome you are now or how bad they are. 
Of course, in these conversations, you have to include sin because you can't repent if you don't understand that you've broken God's relationship with you through sin. You can't have true, true repentance. But Genesis 1 doesn't even start with the fall, right? Genesis 1 starts with God creating this world, and it was good. God making man and woman, saying it was good that they were together. God making the oceans and the sun, the moon and the stars, and all the living creatures, and calling it good. And then when the fall of sin happens in Genesis 3, God's plan was corrupted, and his creation was cursed. So tell the entire story. It's better to start with creation, fall, and redemption than it is to just start with the fall and make it a get-out-of-jail-free card. So get out there and share the story of how Jesus changed your life. And that's not complicated. You're just making room at the table for more. You're inviting people in. Squeeze some extra seats around the table. We actually just got a new table at our house. And, and it, was, it was quite the ordeal to, to build it and put it together on, on Friday after we came back from a week-long vacation. It was fun. Uh, and this table is, is huge. It's, it's massive. I, I, can't, I never imagined we would have a table this big. And not only is it a sign that we have a growing family, <laughs> which, praise God, we're so thankful for that. And we want, but it's, it's also a symbol of how we want to live our lives, inviting people into our home and having more people over for dinner. It's a symbol of our heart and our priorities. Now, it's not super easy to host people right now <laughs> with, with a baby on the way. We don't have as much energy as, as we've, we usually have. But we, we can't wait to have more people gather around the table. And you don't have to have a bench and a massive table to do this. But you need to have the heart to do it. And if you have the heart, you know how God works. He gives you what you need. And when you're faithful in the little things, he rewards you with more and more things. And, and honestly, as I was putting this table together on Friday night, and I had already been thinking about this passage throughout the week, I couldn't help but, but think about a lot of things. I got a little sentimental because I thought about all the people we had over at our old table. And many of you have been over to our house and, and sat around that table. We've had people who were getting married over at that table. We've talked about Jesus and, and we've counseled people. We've prayed with people. We've had family dinners at the table. And I, I started thinking as I was building this new table, which, like I said, was way bigger than I ever imagined. I, st I thought about the first table that we had when we were married in our apartment in Colorado. And I even shared this with our kids in our, in our meal last night. The first table we had was this tiny, rinky-dinky uh, Ikea, the smallest, worst version of table you could get at Ikea. <laughs> and it, it was just this little square table. You could barely fit four chairs around it. You were knocking into each other's knees. And of course, Julie made it look cool because she works her magic on that. But that's what we started with. And then when we moved to Kansas, we got the second level up of Ikea table. <laughs> Um, just, a, just a slight improvement. It was still pretty bad. Um, and then when we moved to South Carolina, we bought that table that we just, that we just moved on from. But we got that table. It had a pop-out leaf and everything. 
And, and, and it really represented like we want to host people. We want to have people over. We want to break bread over a table and, and share life with people, right? And we had so many great experiences. Now, now we actually bartered that table away. The McCloys have that table now. Um, they, they did a whole bunch of stuff for us, and we gave them the table. So it's going to a good home. But with our new table, I can't wait to experience life and share Jesus Christ with people around that table. And I never thought we would have this big, huge table, but here we are, and God is blessed through this church, and, and, and we have one now. But that's the way God works. You don't have to start with the biggest and best model. You just do what you can where you're at, and then you'd watch God open up doors and do the rest. The second rule of being a guest was to make sure you bring something, right? Remember that one? Similarly, on the flip side, as a host, here's another rule that coincides with that. Point number two today is make sure the table is clean. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, verse 11. Look again there. Look again at that verse. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Now, if you're thinking right now, what exactly are the passions of the flesh which wage war against my soul? Let me save you some time. Let's just turn to Galatians chapter 5 because Paul spells it out right there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So turn a few, few books back. Galatians 5, verse 16. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh, here we go, are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's pretty straightforward, right? We could break all of that down, but I don't really feel led to add anything to that right now. We know what that is. And furthermore, the Holy Spirit always gives us the solution. So let's finish reading here. Pick it back up in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So the battle is real. You're going to be tempted. Don't think you're not. Being tempted is not the same as, as being hopeless and being in sin. The Bible would never have so much ink on this topic if it wasn't a real threat, even for people who love Jesus Christ. 
you will stumble and fall. But the more you realize who you are in Christ, and I want you to look back at the first word there in verse 11. What's the very first word? Beloved. The more you see how you are loved by God, and you can circle that, highlight that, do whatever you need to do. Your beloved identity, you're chosen, you're redeemed, you're bought with a price, you're a people of his own possession, you're a royal priesthood. The more you see that, you will love him in return. Because we love him because he first loved us. And the more you start loving him, the more you will obey him. So this isn't just about managing your internal passions and the, and the battle of your mind and, 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 and fighting the lust of your flesh. It's not just about survival and getting accountability. It goes way beyond that. Galatians 5.24 says it's about crucifying the flesh, getting complete victory. You don't manage sin. You kill sin at the root by falling in love with Jesus Christ. Do you want to get victory over your, your sinful passions? Get in the word. Look at how much Jesus has done for you. Walk with him. Talk with him. You'll fall more in love with your Savior, and then you will hate the things he hates. It's that simple. You crucify the flesh. That's how you make sure the table is clean. Has anyone ever been over to someone's house and their table is just filthy? Anyone ever had an experience like that? One time I was going over to someone's house. This was in Kansas when we lived in Kansas to buy a piano on Craigslist. Does anyone still buy things on Craigslist? Is that even a thing anymore? Maybe, maybe too many people walked into houses like the one I walked into here and they, they stopped doing that. But I go to buy this piano at this house and it was disgusting. Just dirt and grime baked into every surface of the house, right? Including the piano, including the table. And, you know, there's, there's, there's cat fur balls everywhere. There's other things from cats, like, everywhere. Like, it's smelling. Like, it was just a very, very bad place. And I don't even have to explain anymore. I just walked out of there without buying that piano because I didn't want that piano and put, to put that in our house. The table was disgusting, the piano was disgusting, and no one who wants to maintain their health would ever sit down at that table. You have to clean up the dirt and the grime and the nastiness off the table of your heart before you start hosting people and talking about Jesus. If, you're, if your life is dominated by your sinful passions, you're not going to have any room to talk about Jesus. Now, Jesus will clean it up. He's the one who does that. But you have to do your part. You have to put off and put on. Put off the flesh and put on Jesus Christ. So go to Christ, just like Galatians 5 is talking about. Walk in the Spirit. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. And get victory over those things. It can happen through Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen on your own good works. It happens through Jesus. Then you can really enjoy the meal with someone other than yourself. Which brings us to rule number three. If you recall, the guest rule was don't overstay. And the correlating point here on the other side, the third guest rule is, number three, make sure the table setting matches the meal. That's a big rule. 
Keep your conduct among the lost honorable. If you're going to host someone and you're going to do it right, think about that, right? Like, what, do you, what is your go-to meal? What is, I mean, you're really trying to, to, to just honor somebody and, and do it right. Thank you. Steak. Can't go wrong with that. Get the steak on the grill. You, you, you're going through all the detailed preparation. You pack the steak with salt. Uh, you got it on the grill for ju just the right temperature. You've seared it enough. You got your thermometer there. You're pulling it off right at the right temperature. You're letting the meat rest. You're melting some butter on top of that. What if you now take that steak and you just put it on a thin paper plate and hand somebody a plastic fork? How's that going to work? Doesn't match, right? That's, that, 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 that's just wrong. Like that, that doesn't work, doesn't fit. Don't do that. This rule, of course, is going to vary from culture to culture, from person to person. But I think we can all agree that a fine meal deserves a fine setting. You get your nicest dishes out, whatever those are. You don't have a whole bunch of mix, mismatched cups and stuff, right? Like there's the there's the I don't know, Packer mug and, and the Star Wars cup and then the red solo cup. You don't want to like have a whole mismatch of cups. That's, that's for Saturday afternoon when you're just making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for the kids, right? Like, no, put matching table setting out and do it right. In the same way, the actions of your day, your personality, the presence of your life must match the good news that you're called to proclaim. So what this verse is saying is very simple and it's very profound. The world who doesn't know Jesus is not going to like it when you share your story. This verse assumes that. That's embedded right there in the verse. Even when you do it the right way and you just share your story, you're doing it the best way you know how. Like, Effortlessly, this is what Jesus did for me, and I, I'm in love with my Savior, and he's changed me. They're not going to like that. Now, if they're being drawn by the Spirit, that's very different. They will repent, <laughs> and they will believe. But we don't know when that will happen. We don't even know if that will happen. And we're still called to be faithful. So what this verse assumes is that the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive. And that is so true. Don't fool yourself into thinking you can be accepted at the cool kids' table as a Christian in the world. You, if you just talk the right way or dress really clean or attend you know, the right academically acclaimed school, you can make the gospel sound appealing. There's a lot of Christians who think that. You can't do that. Because at the end of the day, the good news of the gospel is that God created this world. It was good. We were designed to be in relation with him, to be a people of his own possession. But we rebelled. We broke God's law. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that right there, piece number two, is, a, is offensive any way you slice it. And until someone owns their own sin and sees it for what it is, a rejection of their creator, they are going to be offended. And deep down, no matter what they say, 
they aren't going to like what you have to say or what you represent. And Jesus told us this. Jesus told us, they will hate you. And when they hate you, remember that they hated me before they hated you, and they hate you because they hate me. Deep down, people don't want to be a people of his possession if they don't know his love. They want to do it my way. Have it my way. Be the captain of my own ship. I don't need an anchor for my soul. I don't need anybody else's wind blowing inside my sails. I want to be the captain of my own ship. That's the way the world, people of the world, look at themselves. And the gospel clashes with that. And it's not popular for someone who isn't in relationship with God and doesn't know his love. It never has, and it never will. So when they speak against you as evildoers, notice it's not if, it's when. And we're talking about people who are proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ. We're talking about Christians who, who are just sharing the truth of how God's changed their life. Again, don't try to wiggle out of this, this concept that you can't be buddy-buddy. You can't wiggle in there and play their game. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you can do it better than every other Christian and I can woo them to Jesus with my impressiveness. Because I'm nice and chill compared to those other Christian Bible thumpers over there. It's not how this works. The only way someone will come to Christ is when God calls them. And you are the messenger proclaiming the good news of what Jesus did for you. And when they speak evil against you, and when they paint you as the bad guy, when they nitpick and they judge motives and cast you out as the, as the most uninclusive person in the most uninclusive way possible, which was happening in 63 AD, and it's still happening right now in the present, hopefully that's, hopefully that's ringing some bells, when they do that, you need to expect that. See, the world is all about tolerance. We have to tolerate everyone and everything, except Christians. Notice that? There will be board meetings across America tomorrow morning where the topic of Christian values will come up as something that is holding the company back. And we have to be more progressive. We have to be more inclusive. Christians are not inclusive. So what they're really saying is we don't tolerate Christians. I want you to see where that's coming from. We don't need to complain about that. We don't need to fight that. It's coming from the fact that they don't know the love of God. The intolerance of tolerance is real in our culture. And we're starting to hear it more and more. Very loudly, the chorus is picking up steam. And Christians, Christians should be excluded because... They are exclusive. People are, without Jesus Christ, in darkness. Now, we don't lead with that, but we understand that. Look back at verse 12. Verse 12 says, I'm in Galatians, somehow I got back to Galatians. Verse 12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so then they, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, it's hard to hate someone who is good to you. <laughs> no, matter, no matter what you feel in your heart, it's really, really hard to hate that guy 
who is doing great things for you. Sometimes I've see, I see this in sports where there's a guy, you just, wanna, you just wanna dislike this person. Like everything this person stands for, the way they play the game, it's just against you, it rubs you the wrong way. But when they're on your team, man, they have an attitude, they have a temper, like this person takes it way too seriously, but wow, they could put the ball in the hoop and they help my team win. I like that guy, right? Everybody remember Dennis Rodman? Bulls fans out there? So, <laughs> yeah, in, in a weird way, it is, that whole concept of sports reminds me of this. You don't want to like that person. You don't like what they represent. But you know what? I cannot argue with what they're doing for me. I appreciate that. So I'm going to listen. I'm, I'm going to actually open up my ears. The world wants to hate you but we give them reasons not to hate us. The world says, oh, the church, they're elitist. They, they don't pay taxes. They don't contribute to the community. They don't give back anything to our society. Well, is that true, church? I hope not. Our church goes out of its way. Life groups in our church go out of their way to feed the hungry. We, we do that. We provide meals for people. Our church is, and has done things, and, and we continue to do things, where we clean up parks, we go paint benches, we do all of these things in the community for a reason. We are to be good neighbors. Keep your conduct honorable by giving, by sharing, by being a productive citizen in your community. Be gracious, be generous with your time and your money. And when we do that, we diffuse a little bit of the hate. And we open up the door wider for them to come in. We give ourselves a platform to be heard. It's really hard for your neighbor to continually turn down the invitation to church if you just bought 12, you know, 12 packages of Girl Scout cookies from, from his little girl, right? Like, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like when, when you are that employee who has people's backs and you go out of your way, for people. You know what? And when the time comes, it's like they're going to go get that car part, part for you. And they're, and they're going to actually almost feel bad, like, ah, well, I guess I should show up somewhere on Easter or Christmas or, or this program. Because, because you're, you're, you're showing love. You're, you're being like Christ. Here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. Christianity is the most inclusive exclusivity on the planet. Do you, you catch that? Anyone who wants to come can come by grace alone through Jesus Christ alone. Now, Jesus Christ is exclusive because he's the only way to God. He is the only one who can save because he's the only human who lived a sinless life. Jesus became man and lived a sinless life and he took our sin upon himself and sacrificed his life on the cross. So he's the only one who can bridge the gap and connect us back to restore a relationship with God. Only Jesus can do that. He is the way to the Father. Only Jesus. He is exclusive. But it's inclusive. It's for everyone. He went to the cross 
for the sins of the world. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we are to be bearers and proclaimers of that good news to every man, woman, and child. That's our calling. All are welcome. So make sure the table is clean. Make sure the table setting matches the meal. And make room at the table for more. Now, there's a lot more that could be said here on this topic. I actually came across a podcast uh, this week. I, I listened to this podcast called The Antithesis. It's by, by, by a man named Owen Strawn. And this week, he was actually talking about, in his weekly podcast, he was talking about Christians, how they live in a negative world. And it was a fascinating listen because he was pointing out how our country has changed from being a positive Christian culture where it doesn't matter if you're truly a believer or not, but if you just claim to be a Christian, it was a plus. It was a bonus. You, you made connections at church. You, it was helpful for your business and relationships. Being a Christian was a net gain overall. And then into the 90, 80s and 90s, early aughts, our, our country shifted to where being a Christian was really just a neutral. It wasn't a positive anymore like it used to be in the 50s and the 60s probably. But being a Christian was just neutral. As long as you're not too vocal and too hardcore and out there and in people's face, you're fine. Like, give it or take, whatever. You, you do you, man. In the last five to ten years, our country has gone one step further. It's definitely not a positive. It's not neutral anymore. It's actually negative now. It, it's seen as something that is going to hold you back. And for a lot of people, if, if you're a Christian, ooh, there's a lot of baggage with that. A lot of things you have to overcome. So what he was saying here is, and it really fits with this passage, living in a negative world towards Christianity, a lot of us still think we're living in a neutral world. We still act like that. And, and the thing is, just be nice. You can boil it all down to just be a nice person. It doesn't matter what you really say. It's just like you do your job really well and things are going to work out. you got that platform. Just be a faithful presence. You don't really have to open your mouth. This is where you, maybe you've, you've heard the whole, the whole misquote from St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel at all times and if, if necessary, use words. Anybody ever heard that? Heard that quote? Like that's, that was the, the battle cry of the neutral world for Christians for, for, for decades. First of all, that was not really a real quote, but that's not what this passage is teaching. Do you see anywhere in this passage that it just talks about being a faithful presence, just being a nice person, and that's going to actually do the job? Where has that gotten us? Where did, that, where did that take the kingdom? Did it advance the kingdom in our country? You have to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you're going to proclaim something, you can't do that without opening your mouth. So you have to talk about Jesus. You have to. You have to share your story. And in a neutral world, being nice and being a good neighbor is fine. Great. I can go a certain extent with that. But we're not there anymore. It's spiritual warfare. And we're in a war zone. And in a negative world, just being polite and fitting in is not going to move the dial. You're not, because 
they don't even care to listen to you. So when we are presenting Jesus, don't show up early, for one. Don't cram it in at the wrong time. That's just common sense, okay? You know, f- pick your place, have that relationship with that person, invest in that person, be that good neighbor, and, and, God, and pray about the opportunities, and it is effortless. God will open the door to give you the chance to open your mouth, but you don't, like, force it in at an awkward time, okay? Don't show up too early. Bring something. Listen to them. You know, just listening to people is a great way, a great bridge into talking about Jesus Christ. When, when I did this campus, college campus ministry back in Colorado, uh, what, what we did, our whole, our whole strategy, we kind of fell into this, but we would just go have lunch with people. We'd meet people, invite them to Bible studies. We'd play Ultimate Frisbee, invite them to Bible studies, all that. But all we had to do was just sit down, start a conversation and start asking people questions. What are you studying? What's going on? Like, you just ask, it doesn't matter. Like, you just keep asking questions, being friendly, and guess what eventually clicks in? Oh, oh, they just asked me like five questions in a row. This person's friendly. They're taking an interest in me. Maybe I should ask them one question. What are you doing here today? And then you, sh- and then you share. And also, know when to step away. When you understand your role, you know that you don't have to rush anything, you don't have to force anything, and guess what? You can leave them with wanting more. But you still have to have them over, and you still have to proclaim Jesus Christ. You just can't sit around waiting for them to want it. You have to take it to them intentionally. And there is nothing more intentional than having someone over for dinner to sit down at your table. In the world that we live in today, where hate runs deep and minds are blinded, just shouting something in the open forum, like on the internet, which is like the modern street corner, right? That's not gonna do a very good job of convincing people, is it? Has, has anyone ever been convinced of something by just looking at a meme on the internet? I, I'm, I'm all for memes. Don't get me wrong. I, lo- I love them. But that's not the way to present Jesus Christ, by getting in Twitter arguments. What cuts through all the noise and the preconceived ideas and the misrepresentations is face-to-face sitting down at a table over dinner where they get to know you, and they see, they see the real you, they see that you care, they see and they hear that you've been changed by someone bigger than you and greater than you. And you're not offering yourself. You're not selling them some religious package. You're presenting to them the relationship that you have with your God. And if you don't, have people over and you don't invest into people's lives face to face, you're never going to really be able to do this successfully. Now, I know some of us are thinking, my word, David, I don't have time to have people over for dinner. I don't even have time to clean my own house. I get that. I really do. But when when you boil down what being a person, a people of his own possession really is at the core, at the heart of it all, Don't you think this is more important than your kid's sports program 
or your Pilates class or whatever it is that you do in your free time? Don't you think investing in your neighbors and, and of course you gotta, you gotta be strengthened and have your relationships with your church body, but the reason our church doesn't have a thousand programs and we have one touch point throughout the week is because we want to give you the time and the space and the capacity to fit more things in your life as you share the good news with others. I don't, we don't always do a great job of this. We get busy. We, I'm right there with you. We can get too busy too. This, this passage has been very convicting for me this week. But if you need to clean up, clean up. Go to Galatians 5. Walk with the Spirit. Take time to do that. No one starts off with a huge table either. Remember that. You can do this without that big, long table. But you have to start somewhere. The message is very simple. Fall in love with Jesus. Look how much he's done for you. Walk with him, talk with him, and then share that with others. Thanks for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions about the topic of this sermon, or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life, please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church. You are loved.